Well, good evening. It is great to see you guys here in person. And as always, it is great to have you here online. So we're in some new territory. First time uh, we're, we've been doing this and it's just great to be able to do it together. And as always, we want your input uh, as we work our way through this. So be sure to send us your thoughts and, and uh, just, uh, just your experience as we work through this together. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we look at his word. So Father, we thank you that we can come to you and you know us by name. That we can just settle our hearts before you. That we can know the, 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 the living God is listening to our prayers and listening to our hearts. And Father, we know that you're the only one who can, who can transform us from within. You meet us right where we are. And then you take us where you want us to be. So Father, we pray that as we look at your word uh, tonight, that you, would, that you would teach us as only you can do. You can, you can take your, your living word and plant it in our hearts and, and allow us to hear exactly what we need for that moment, for this moment. And I pray, Father, that you would do that. I pray that you would take your, we have nothing to say unless it comes from your word and just take your word and use it tonight in the life of each person here and online. Lord, we, we come together, we sing together and, and, and now we want to pray together as your son, our savior taught us to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so there's a statement and every time I hear it, I am challenged. Every time I hear this statement, it kind of stops me in my tracks. And I've read it a lot of times. It's found in the opening chapter, the opening words of a book called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, where he goes through and explains who God is and how we just don't know about God, but how we can know God. And he starts his book with these words. You've probably heard them before, some of you, but listen to these. Tozer says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. The most momentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Think about that. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So that statement begs a question, doesn't it? What comes to your mind when you think about God? What comes to your mind when you think about God from, from the depths of your heart? So we started this series called Anchored, and we're talking about unchangeable truths in these in these challenging, challenging times. 
We started talking about that, that we could be anchored in Jesus. Our, our theme verse has been Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. The, the person and work of Jesus is the anchor of our soul. We also said to be anchored in Jesus, you got to be anchored in his word. And then we said, you got to be anchored in trust when, when, when life gets kind of chaotic. We talked last time, Dave and I did, about being anchored in spiritual identity and what that means to be safe, significant, accepted, forgiven, and empowered. Spiritual identity, I think, is a game changer. Tonight, we want to talk about what it looks like, what it feels like to be anchored in the presence of God. When life overwhelms us, when, when, when things are out of control, when it seems chaotic around us, what does it look like, what does it feel like to be anchored in the presence of God? Now, back to that question, what comes to your mind when you think about God? There should be a lot of things that come to our mind when we think about God, the attributes of God, but I want to plant these two in our minds tonight. Here's just a starter, right? Just a starter. These two things, when we think about God, should come to our mind. One, God is personal and God is majestic. God is personal and God is majestic. Will you say that with me? God is personal and God is majestic. Let's do it again. God is personal and God is majestic. When we open the first pages of scripture, we see that God is a personal God. In Genesis, we see that God uh, formed man out of the dust of the earth. And then it says, he breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. Think about that, the picture. God stooped down, the picture is, God stooped down and he breathed into man. What a personal picture. The breath of life and man became a living soul. Then he, uh, he took uh, Adam and he brought all the animals to Adam and he said, Adam, I want you to name all the animals. What a cool thing to do, An Adam, naming all the animals. Then after sin entered the world, uh, in Genesis chapter three, God is walking in the garden and he is having a conversation with Adam and Eve. We see in Genesis six that he says it grieved him that he created man because of the sin in the world. And then in Genesis 11 and 18, it says that God went down to see what man was doing. Now, just think about that. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time in his full being. God didn't need to go down to see what man was doing. So why does he say that? He says that because he wants to communicate to us from the very first pages of Scripture that he is not some impersonal cosmic force, that he is a personal God who cares about us and loves us intimately. And we see that throughout the Old, the, the Old Testament, God interacting with his people. He is a personal God. Then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus comes. God in the flesh lived among us. And so Jesus says in John chapter 14, 9, he who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. You want to know what God looks like? You know what the personal God looks like? Just look at me. And there we see Jesus. So here we want to see what God looks like. So we follow Jesus to the Gospels, and we see him talking with people and walking with people along the road. We see, we see him healing people. We see him feeding people. We see him having dinner at people's houses over and over again. 
We see him meeting this, uh, this woman by the well, this Samaritan woman by the well, and interacting with her. People didn't do that in that day. Men didn't talk to women, and no one talked to the Samaritan woman except Jesus because he's a personal God. And then, for every one of us here, talk about a personal God, he died for us on the cross so that we could have a relationship with the Father for eternity. And then he rose from the dead. And then Jesus, before he left, said this to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 16. He said, I'm going away. You won't see me physically here, but I'm going to send. John chapter 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you what? Another helper. I've been here. I've been with you, but I'm going away. So he's going to send you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Read this with me. For he dwells with you and what? In you. Think, just think about that. Could you ever get over that? That the living God, the creator of the universe, lives within us, giving us everything we need to do what he's calling us to do. God lives within us, and he says, I'll never leave you. I'll be with you forever in you and with you. I mean, talk about a personal God. Isaiah, in chapter 43, take your Bibles and turn there. Isaiah talks about the personal God way back in the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus came. And listen to what he says about this personal God. But now this says the Lord. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have what? I have redeemed you. I have purchased you out of slavery. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Think about that. The creator God looks down and says, I've called you by name. You are mine. And I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Because look, when you pass through the waters, what? I will be with you. When, you. when you go through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. And the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One, your Savior. I give Egypt as a ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored I love you, and I give to men in return for you, peoples in exchange for life. Fear not, for I am with you. God is a personal God. When What comes to your mind when you think about God, think he is a personal God. He loves us. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He lives within us, always going to be with us. How many of you have been working remotely over the last uh, several weeks? Right. And we're interacting from a distance, and we're, like, getting good at these Zoom calls. And I got to tell you, looking at, looking at myself on the screen for four hours, my self-esteem is taking a beating <laughs> doing that. But God never works remotely, does he? And even though we need social distance, God never social distances. He lives within us. Comes to your mind when you think about God, God is personal. What an amazing truth. Now, a lot of people want to stop right there. 
God's personal. He's like me. He communicates himself like me. He, um, he's my good buddy. He's a good friend. He's, he always has my back. He's my pal. That Jesus, he's my pal. And when we stop there, while it's a tremendous truth, if we stop there, we begin to think that Jesus is just like us. He's personal like us. And so scripture clearly tells us, yes, he is personal. And that is an amazing truth. But he is not like us. He is majestic. He is personal and he is majestic. The word majestic is a Latin term and it means greatness. It means magnificent. And Isaiah, a few chapters earlier in Isaiah chapter 40, man, he tells us all about the greatness of God starting in verse 9. Look at chapter 40, verse 12. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand? Who could take all the waters of the globe and put them in the cup of his hand and mark off the heavens with a span, a hand breath? Who can mark off the heavens with a hand breath? Endorse, uh, enclose the, the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale, the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom, whom did he consult? And who made him understand, who taught the, him the, the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? There, Isaiah, in those two verses, thir- three verses, 12, 13, and 14, asks five rhetorical questions. The answer is no one can do that because God is the only one because he is majestic. There is no one like him. He's the one who can take us, and he's the one who can demonstrate to us he is majestic overall. If you read those questions, some of you may be going back. That sounds a lot like another passage. That sounds a lot like Job chapter 40, doesn't it? Where Job went through all this stuff, man, can't even imagine the stuff Job went through. And then he has all these friends giving him advice and he starts questioning God. And then God comes to him in chapter 40 of Job and says this, I love 40 40 verse one. He says, dress for action like a man, Job. I've got some questions for you. So what's God say? I'm a personal God, Job. I'm gonna talk with you, but I gotta tell you, I am also majestic. There is no one like me. I got this under control. Even when you don't understand it, even when you're going through pain, I am a majestic God. His acts, God is personal and majestic in all his acts. Secondly, Isaiah tells us that God is majestic over all the nations of the world. So as I Googled it, based on economic power and military might, here are the 10 most powerful nations in the world. You ready? United States, Russia, China, Germany, United Kingdom, France, Japan, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and South Korea. You got them? 10 of them. Look at chapter 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a what? A drop in the bucket. 
compared to the majestic God who is in control of all things. Look at verse 17. All the nations are as what? Nothing before him. You can read about them in the newspapers. You can talk about their might and you can talk about their power. But the nations are like a drop in the bucket compared to the majestic God. Now think about that. He is personal and he is majestic. This personal God lives within us. His spirit lives within us. And he's sovereign over all the nations of the world. Thirdly, Isaiah tells us, God is personal and majestic over all the world. How many people are, United, are uh, in the world? How many billions of people? Anybody got a guess? Anybody? 7.8 billion people in the world. 1.4 billion in China and India. And 331 million, the United States is third, 331 million in the United States. And you know what God says? When I look down at all those people, you know what, you know what I see? Grasshoppers. Look at the next verse, 21 and 22. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Have you not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood the foundations of the earth? It is he who sets above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like what? Grasshoppers. Which led the psalmist to say in Psalm 8, what is, what is man that you are even mindful of him, God? You're so majestic. What is man that you are even mindful of him? What, why, why do you even bother with us? Why do you take a second look our way? Well, C.H. Spurgeon answers that question. Man was magnified and is magnified by the stamp of God's image. We are made in the image of God. Every person, every person matters to him. He is majestic and he sets over the earth. And yeah, we may look like grasshoppers, but you know what? We are made in his image and he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for every one. He is majestic and he's a personal God. He loves us with an everlasting love and he is over all the nations. He's over all the people and he is over all the world leaders. All right, so have you heard these names before? Trump, heard that one? Putin, heard that one? Johnson, United Kingdom. Jinping, China, he's been in the news a little bit. Merkel, Germany, she's always in the news. Modi, India. Solomon, Saudi Arabia. JN, South Korea. What about all those world leaders today you read about in the paper? Well, look at uh, verse 23. He is a God, majestic overall, who brings princes to what? Nothing. And makes the rulers of the world as what? Emptiness. Now you say, well, that's the powerful. What about the wealthy? Yeah, put them in line. Bezos, Gates, Buffett, put them in line. That short life ends even to the most wealthy. They are nothing compared to the majestic 
God. He is in charge over all. He is sovereign over all. Nothing happens without his decree. Last one. God is personal, Isaiah says in chapter 40, and majestic over the universe. Some more questions for you. Uh, how many galaxies? Anyone know? Like 10 million. 10 trillion. I missed that by a few. 10 trillion. How many stars? So let's just do the Milky Way. How many stars in the Milky Way? 100 billion stars. And so you start doing your math and you think, how many stars are there in the universe? One followed by 24 zeros. Now, we didn't do that kind of math when I was growing up in Oklahoma. I mean, four or five zeros and like we were done. You get a, some zeros and a comma, we're, we're like done. Look at chapter 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Look up at the stars. Who created these? Who brings out their host by number, calling them all by what? Name. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one of them is missing. Psalm 147.4 says, he determines the number of stars and gives them all of them their names, which led J.I. Packer to say in his book, Knowing God, the world dwarfs us all, but what? God dwarfs the world. What comes to your mind when you think about God? He's personal and he is majestic. And so Isaiah sums that up at the end of this chapter when he says in verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Oh, but he's also the personal God. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall, what? Renew their strength, because he's a personal God. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Anchored in the presence of God. Anchored in the presence of God. He is personal and he is majestic. Okay, so we know that here, right? Now, here's the million dollar question. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, if you're children of God and you know you're anchored and you know you're anchored in his presence, you don't have to be overwhelmed by, overwhelmed by anything. You are, Paul says, like stars that shine in the universe. In this dark world, in this chaotic world, in a world that's confused, in a world of unrest, you are children of God. Presence of God, you shine as lights in the world. So I'm going to share with you guys my pet peeve and the pet peeve of the elders of our church. Our pet peeve is this. People who know the truth, people who know that God is personal and majestic and don't do anything. <laughs> 
don't do anything. So the question is, you know God is personal and you know God is majestic. What are you going to do with that? Here at the Bible Chapel for many, many years, the elders have led the way in this dark and broken and confused world saying we got to do something. That's why we went to Panama. If you've been to Panama, you know the story. You go to the orphanage and you see the kids there. When they get aged out of the orphanage, most of the girls will go into prostitution and most of the guys will go to prison and drugs. So we said, we got to do, we can't just talk about that. We got to do something about that. So we started a ministry and it was a hard ministry and a complex ministry. And we're still wa- walking with some of the kids that we got out of the orphanages early on because you have to do something. A whole group goes in January to minister to the poorest of the poor in Panama. They go to a camp, it's free. We tell them about Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can change a heart. We can't, but we can let his presence shine through us as we share the message. That's one of the reasons we support Maria in Thailand at Faith House. The girls in Myanmar whose parents are killed in the war-torn area there come over into Thailand and guess what happens if she doesn't intercept them? They get sold into sex trade. Think about that. Think about how terrible that is. And so Maria goes and she has a faith house. And there at the faith house, she tells these girls about who? Jesus, who's the only one who can change their life. And she teaches them. She uses Living Grounded. We're partnering with another group to try to get Living Grounded in the Thai language. And by the way, uh, uh, there was a fence around uh, Faith House and it was broken down. And guys were coming and watched the girls take showers. And so we just sent over some money to rebuild that fence to protect those girls. You see, when you want to shine like lights in the world, you just do something instead of talk about it. That's why we go to the Mathari slums. Man, I'd love to take you to the Mathari slums. We were going to go this year and couldn't go because of COVID. But in the Mathari slums, there are kids that live on dirt floors, uh, uh, sheetrock, not sheetrock, sheet metal of, of ceilings, right? And listen to this. The girls hate the rainy season. You know why? Because when the rain's pelting against that sheet metal, there are a lot of rapes that take place because their screams can't be heard. And so Johnson Wambua started a school there. And he tells these kids, you're not a slum kid. You're a child of the living God. You're a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you're not going to stay here. In fact, God's going to get you out of this and only he can do it. And you're going to go off to university and then you're going you're, you're to have a job and you're going to fund the school. You're going to be the ones that keep the school going. That's why we love Johnson Wambu. I was talking to a little girl the last time I was there. Her name was Joyce. I said, hey, Joyce, what are you going to be when you grow up? You know what she said? I'm going to be a donor for needy children. I said, well, that's pretty cool, Joyce. How are you going to pay for that? You need some money. Oh, I'm going to be a doctor. But I'm going to be a donor for needy children. I love Johnson Wambu because he works his tail off over there. I thought I worked hard, but when I'm with him, I got to run to keep up. Last time he was here, he was on our porch and like it was late at night. I was about to die. And he said, time out before I go, I'm going to share you my vision. He didn't stop. You see, that's why, that's why we started uh, our, our campuses in, in uh, Robinson. That's why we started in Washington at the city mission. So the light of Jesus Christ could shine in a desperate place. 
That's why when the COVID, remember, used the COVID thing was in the news for, not the COVID thing, the uh, opioid, opioid thing was in the news for, remember that? And so we brought in a person to deal with that, a recovery ministry, not, not to help people get off drugs, but to help people find Jesus so he could get them off drugs. By the way, that's why we have a place in Wilkinsburg. Because we want to share Jesus there. We want to make sure that those kids' lives are transformed by Jesus. Only he can transform life. Only he can break the cycle. We can't, but he can. And when we know who he is and when we're anchored in his presence, then we can shine like lights in the world. Or maybe, maybe you just want to be like Marilyn. Not just like Marilyn, but like Marilyn. Marilyn, she didn't get on a plane to go overseas. She didn't even go downtown. You know what she did? She just went around her neighborhood. 50 years she was here at our church. Marilyn Nobly passed away last week. Her memorial service will be on Monday. And only eternity knows how many people she led to Christ because she was willing to invite people into her home to share Jesus through a Bible study. See, the question is this. You're anchored in the presence of God, but what are you going to do? How are you going to demonstrate that? Young people, I got to tell you something. Just doing Blackout Tuesday on Instagram is not quite the service and sacrifice that God calls for. Just posting stuff on Facebook during this thing we're going through now is not, is not quite the doing that God calls us to. The question I'm going to leave with you today is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to shine as a light in a dark place? Anyone can point out the darkness, but only the children of God can shine like lights in the universe. So Father, work in our hearts. Help us be those who just don't talk, but do. Help us be those who put our faith into action. And Lord, that might mean for many of us just walking across the street and sharing Jesus with someone who is as far from the kingdom as the same person around the world. Lord, the ball's in our court. Move us to action, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.